This is HPR episode 2127 entitled Tabletop Gaming. It is hosted by Klaatu and is about 34 minutes long. The summary is Klaatu ponders analog programming and tabletop gaming. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Public Radio. My name is Klaatu. Today I wanted to talk about uh, a topic that I, I guess I've started talking about now, um, tabletop gaming. So I, I did an episode recently on Dark Cults, which is an old 1980s game that I kind of discovered online, insofar as you can discover something that exists online already. Um, but I found it and I revived it and uh, been really enjoying it. And And that's just been sort of one aspect of tabletop gaming that I've been enjoying lately. And uh, truth is, I've gotten a lot more into tabletop gaming than than ever before uh, lately because I've I've actually I've I've got a reliable partner now to play a game with, you know. So I've been actually being able to play games, two player games, reliably four player games uh, on special occasions. Sometimes even more people. It just depends on what the occasion is. But yeah, so tabletop gaming has been something that I've been able to enjoy lately, uh, and I'm I'm really happy to have sort of found it. And I wanted to talk about what appeals to it, uh, to me about it, um, so that if if you're not someone who plays a lot of analog games, then maybe this will get you to check it out. Or give you the courage to check it out if you're if you've been curious about it but but hesitant to get involved. Um, if you're anything like me, maybe you're not. But if you're anything like me, you probably grew up with the usual assortment of board games that everyone sort of gets. You know, whenever I guess people have a kid, I guess they just get standard issue board games along with you know everything else. And and those board games that kind of get put into the closet and they're kind of like the board games that you grow up with, and they're all the, the like I say, standard issue, kind of fam- family-friendly, really, re- you know, usually pretty basic rule set, easy to play. It's just kind of, they're, they're good, solid games. I'm not saying that they're, like, not real games or anything. I'm just saying that that's kind of like, we all know the ones that I'm talking about, right? There's that, there's that short list of board games that everyone, in America anyway, owns, and that's fine. Um, but th- there's that other side of tabletop gaming that you hear about, and certainly I started hearing about a long time ago. You just, you just, it's on the periphery, you know, it's just, it's just right out there, and you, you don't really think about it, but you hear about it, and you hear murmurings, and it's like this members-only super secret world of really cool board games, like really cool ones, and, and they're kind of like this, there's this, amalgamation of of hardcore rpg with traditional coffee table pastimes you know it's 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 all the it's all the best parts of everything and i i move slowly so 
um, between childhood cautions against, you know, the gateway to the occult that was Dungeons and Dragons and just kind of flat out unfamiliarity with uh, modern gaming, I didn't really know where to begin in exploring the tabletop gaming thing. I just didn't know how to sort of find that entry point. But I did. I eventually did find an entry point. Uh, for me, it was with Cards Against Humanity, which you've probably played or you've heard of. Possibly you don't like it. Possibly you love it. Um, either way, whatever you think about it, it's it's kind of an easy, mad lib style, wacky game that, that has no barrier to entry other than a, a really horrible sense of humor. Um, but apparently it's a ripoff anyway of, of a game called Apples to Apples which I'd also vaguely heard of and I'd actually seen in play once at a Linux conference. Um, actually, I think I can tell you exactly which Linux conference it was because someone was just talking about it the other other month uh, on, on online. But anyway, I didn't, I didn't join in on that game because I didn't know anything about it. I just knew it was like apples to apples. I don't know what that is, but it's a card game. I don't know how to get into a card game, so I'm not going to approach that and ask to to join in, which was stupid. So, like, to a large degree, my hesitation to or my, my the, the barrier to entry in into tabletop gaming was my own sort of unadventurousness. But anyway, I I ended up with this copy of Creative uh, of um, Cards Against Humanity for for as a as a gift. Someone had given it to me because it was a Creative Commons game. So. It, it was a Creative Commons game, so it, it encouraged. I mean, that's how every you know this person thought. Well, he'll like this because he's always going on about Creative Commons. This says Creative Commons, so I'll give it to him. That's how I ended up with it, and as as a result, I started playing Cards Against Humanity. And Cards Against Humanity, again, no matter what you really think about it, is that it it does encourage people to not necessarily purchase the game. You can print it out at home, and that alone was a huge revelation to me like the idea that 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 there was this thing that you could just print out at home and not purchase anything but still be able to play a game that was a novel idea to me um and even if you did buy the game you could then add to the game uh which is a whole other dimension of things which which i guess i'll get to um it, the, the idea of mod of user mods for for games is a completely new idea to me which is weird because you think about like a, a poker game you know or, or or any card game that you play with a standard you know 52 card deck um there are always you, you always hear the term house rules and and all that is is people saying okay well here's this game here's this rule set that we all that we all know, and now we'll, we'll we'll tweak them a little bit to make this game more fun for us. And I kind of the fact that it's a new idea to me that that it sort of came as like this great revelation. I I will gladly blame on technology, because for most of my life, uh, up until I discovered open source, it just never really occurred to me that I could take something and use it in some way other than what the creator of that thing intended which is a shame to have to admit because especially since as a kid, you know, as kids, we all, we all, we, none of us have that 
that built in. We we do anything with anything, right? We, we find cardboard boxes or Tupperware in the kitchen cabinet and we make cities out of them or we take pillows and we make forts for ourselves. You know, it's, there's no, there's nothing built in to us that says, well, you can't use this thing for, for anything but this one purpose. It's like as kids, we don't, that, that never even occurs to us. But I, I feel for me, at least in technology, that was something that was, that, that was kind of taught to me, something that I learned and, and it's, it's the wrong thing to learn. Um, but with software, closed source software, you're, you're explicitly forbidden from certainly figuring out how it works and you're told exactly how you're allowed to use it. And if you attempt to abuse it or, you know, use it in some other way, then you, there are either blockades, like it stops working or it crashes or, or you just find, uh, that you hit a wall because it's software and it's closed source and there's not really anything you can do above and beyond what is built into it to do. Of course, open source doesn't have that drawback. I mean, there is a, there's an inherent limitation, I guess, to what you can do with software and read only chips and things like that, or read only media. Um, but generally speaking with open source software, there's, there's a little bit more flexibility built in. And certainly there's, there's the sense that you're supposed to, supposed to look at it. You know, you're, you're, there's an invitation there. Like you don't have to use this in the way that we tell you to use it. Here's, here's GIMP. It's a graphic application. Um, if you want to script it such that you can design something in GIMP and then pipe that picture out to a sound output and thereby make music with your graphics, then go for it. You know, there's no, there's never any kind of built-in restriction and, and even, even if it is built in because, hey, it's software and you, you just can't physically do, you just can't make it do something that it's totally not meant to do, it's still open source and there's still different hooks into it that you can use to try to abuse it in fun and new ways. And with analog gaming, that, that definitely is, is built in. Um, you can add to a game, you can modify the rules, you can share your ideas with, with other people, you can invent an entirely new game. It's just, it's completely and utterly unlike closed technology. You're, you're buying the assets when you buy that game. You, you get to take it home and then once, once it's yours, you can do really anything you want with them. I mean, you can't resell it, um, I, I don't think, but, but in terms of the actual use, you're, you can use it in any other way that you want. If you don't like the fact that there's a Joker card in your deck, set it aside. Or if you want the Joker card to have special powers, you want it to be Joker's Wild, whatever, then grant it that ability. And you just kind of announce that to the table and, and you've just modified the game. And it's, that's an ancient, you know, age old thing right there about gaming that just kind of never occurred to me. But I mean, that is what entertainment should be about is creativity. Uh, yeah, you can sit and enjoy someone else's creativity and I often do, but sometimes you want the opportunity to be creative too. And any good entertainment system ought to allow for that. And tabletop gaming does, uh, and has forever. Um, and it's, it's good that it fosters that it kind of surprised and appealed to me that tabletop gaming, uh, as it turns out, has all the, the same thrill 
and in many cases the same immersion that a complex video game has. And sometimes it even does it better than a, a fancy video game does. The obvious analogy, I guess, would be that tabletop gaming is to video games as books are to movies. You can allow for some overlap there, but one of them shows you the result of an artist's imagination, and the other one acts as a catalyst for your own. So I'm not really a super uh, game, you know, I don't think of game theory on an everyday basis. I, I do the more that I play more tabletop games and even more video games. I, I do think about them, but but generally speaking, I will say that I'm a, a very superficial, um, I dare say casual gamer. Um, it's 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 the fantasy of the game that appeals to me the most. I, I don't I don't tend to play a game just because I'm interested in in the gaming mechanic of that particular thing. That's not how I think about it. I I play a game because for an hour or or a few hours I get to become a rogue or a necromancer or a dictator of a fictional country or I get to visit a new country or a new world or there's some intriguing story that I have to uncover or bits of stories that only get hinted at maybe in the artwork of the cards you know there's 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 this kind of discovery process and imaginative experience that that tabletop games encourage the, the same way that books and, and radio plays that, that don't show you everything, that they, they encourage that kind of imagination in the same way. And a lot of what I do in real life does depend on modern conveniences. And that's another really good thing about tabletop gaming is that it essentially requires no modern convenience whatsoever. Tabletop gaming is very, very old. So unlike closed or open source software, for a tabletop game, you don't need, you know, electricity. You don't need um, microchips or nanotechnology. It's, it's just none of that applies to this. I mean, I, I love the idea of analog computing. Um, and, and I wouldn't say that I'm actually as dependent upon computers as even I sometimes think that I am. You know, I think a lot of us, probably a lot of us geeks, may may sell ourselves short in a way. And when we say things like, oh, I wouldn't know what to do without the internet, or I wouldn't know what to do without a computer. But maybe you would, actually. You know, the creative minds and, and the hacker personality, I think, tends to be more resourceful than, than certainly outsiders give us credit for. And, and sometimes even we give ourselves credit for. And tabletop gaming kind of permits me to set aside all the modern convenience stuff in a pinch, whether I'm just out without a computer or out, you know, in the great outdoors, like on a on a, a hiking trip or something, or or maybe the power's gone out or whatever, you know, I mean like there are occasions where we don't have the 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 modern convenience that we that we pretend like we're so dependent upon and tabletop gaming is a great way to get outside of that but it does i mean in addition to being an imaginative experience like i said there is a certain aspect to gaming that is a lot more technical and it really is a form of analog programming and that's something that i've 
been interested in for a very long time and could never quite never quite get a hold of. Um, I mean, I remember teachers in school insisting to me that the abacus was actually a calculator, you know, and I never understood that. For as long as I lived, I was just, I, I could not understand why they, people kept in, insisting that that a series of beads was was a calculator. I just, that made no sense to me. But but the idea that that the same principles that we enjoy in computing can be applied to non-electronic things in life is very fascinating. And I didn't even realize this was a component of tabletop gaming until until I started playing tabletop games more more frequently. Um, and and I started it's just not you know if you look for it especially you just kind of start to see the you start to see the programming come to come to the surface bubble to the surface um, out, out of the tabletop game. Um, the way that I think I probably first realized it again was Cards Against Humanity. Um, I was playing with someone and it, we were I it was just me and my girlfriend and there were so there was a two player situation. We only had two players. Cards Against Humanity, you can play with two players, um, but it doesn't really work because you always know who is answering. You know, it's there's only one answer provided, so that's kind of weird. Um, I mean, you can also put down your own card, but then you, again, know whose card that is. So, I mean, it can be a collaborative thing, like, hey, which one of these two answers do we think is funniest? But there's a mod in the um, Cards Against Humanity rulebook that that says you should have three players and the for the third player if you don't have a third player you can deal a hand to what they call rando calarizian a fake player uh and and he receives uh cards a hand face down and he submits random answers on each turn so you just take a random card from this this ghost third player hand and put it down as an answer and amazingly, the results are just as funny and sometimes funnier than than a real human answer. And and honestly, I've I've played two player games of Cards Against Humanity where where this random non player has nearly won the game, such as randomness. Um, but as as games as game mods go, that 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 really really works. It's very effective super simple. I mean, it's not what you would call elegant. You know, if we were programming here um, in terms of, of making an AI, that's pretty much the the lowest you can go. You know, just like total randomness, um, just depend on complete and utter, just, you know, brute, brute forcing a third player into, into a two-player situation. It boils down to if you need another player, just play two hands. And, and possibly play that play the the second hand uh, blind. Now, um, th that that introduced me to the idea that that AI essentially could be programmed into an analog game. Um, it, it there's a more elegant example in the um, in the Dark Cults game that I talked about in my previous episode in tabletop gaming, um, which if you didn't hear that, um, I won't I won't rehash it, but it's an old game from the 80s. You can find out more about it at gitlab.com slash notclatu slash dark occult. 
D-A-R-K-O-C-C-U-L-T. Um, so when I, when I was doing this, everything completely changed for me when I discovered the 1985 expansion pack, which included modified rules for a single player game. So as a player, the scheme is pretty much, uh, it's so elegant that the game might as well have been meant for a solo game. I mean, it's just, it's that good from a programming standpoint. It's, it just, you can see what it's doing and it's just absolutely brilliant. Um, and, and it's, it's one of those things. I mean, I don't know how much source code you've read in your, in your life. I've read my fair share and you can kind of, it's kind of a, a surfing trip. You know, you, you kind of wade through some of the tides and you're picking up on these important points out on the horizon. You know, you're, you're kind of, as you read, you're kind of like, you're, you're, you're forming a picture and then you get to the part where it all kind of comes together. And it's like, you're just riding on this wave or like, I imagine what it would be to ride on a wave. I've never actually been surfing. I'm just making up an analogy here. You know, there's like all that preparation and kind of all that background work. And then suddenly it, it eventually pays off and suddenly it kind of makes sense and it's all very beautiful and you understand what the code is working. That's how the single player rule book felt when I, when I was, when I was reading it for dark, dark cults, you see how the card decks are getting divided up and you understand that there are percentages involved and you see how the, the challenges are being mitigated and how randomness plays the part of your opponent. But then you're also dealing the cards that you play and you're playing against like this kind of fake AI. It's, it's amazing. The, the way that Dark Cults does it is that, um, it programs the card deck to provide a reliably, fairly safe, entertaining game progression for you by, by creating this, this draw deck, you know, the deck that you mostly draw from. And they're just the, these basic cards like location and atmosphere and object cards, nothing in there that really ever poses a threat to you. It just progresses the game. But then what, what they do is that they mix in a small percentage of threats of the things that are actually going to trigger like a watershed moment, a, a point where you have to make a decision or do something, you know, that that's where the action happens. So they mix a little bit of that in there. And, and so you're playing and the game is going along pretty smoothly. And then there's something that forces your hand to draw something more threatening, or you just happen to get something threatening because that's how percentages work. And it's just something that occurs. And, and you have to make all these choices based on what you're drawing. You know, are you going to let your protagonist continue through this, through the game? Or are you going to, um, are you going to draw the, the protagonist, you, you know, play a, a safe card and, and get your protagonist back to safety? It, it's done really, really well. And, and in the single player game, there's like five different decks and you draw from each under different conditions. There's no dice involved or anything. It's, it's purely based around drawing cards from decks. It's an amazing little mechanic and you should definitely try it. But what's, what's most amazing to me is that is seeing how it went from a two player card game to something completely the same and yet 
in the in terms of layout completely different. So in other words, tabletop gaming provides many of the same challenges as say a video game would. Um, you know, it provides the same exact mechanics, the same rewards, and it's not just for the player. It's it's also for the designer. You know, you can program the situation. You can you can set the stage for an imaginary environment. You can forge the same kinds of obstacles and challenges. You can set up the same goals, and it's it's the exact same process, but it's completely. Now, interestingly, I think a lot of us tend to think that this concept of a barrier to entry is sort of unique to technology. You know, we, we very frequently as, as geeks talk about, well, what's, you know, what's keeping different, uh, you know, different people from getting involved in this technology or what's, what's keeping my users away from, from this thing? Like, how can I make this more user-friendly, blah, blah, blah. There's always that, that question of like, what's, what's the, What's the dumbest user that I've got? What's holding them back? And how can I fix that? And I never really thought of that in terms of analog gaming until I kind of reflected on my own uh, progress with, with tabletop gaming. And, and in, interestingly, there's a, there's a barrier to entry to tabletop gaming. Um, maybe, as I said, maybe you just, maybe you've heard bad things about the, the gaming community, you know, maybe you've thought, oh, well, these people are, are way too into gaming. I don't want to, I don't want to go down that path. I don't want to start investing money into this hobby. I don't want to have to deal with these weirdos or, you know, whatever. Or maybe you're just hesitant. Maybe you're just shy. Maybe you just don't know where to start. And, and from the programming, I guess, aspect, maybe you you know, maybe you don't want to modify a game. Maybe you don't want to invent your own game. Maybe you don't want to learn rules to to a new game. There, there are lots of little things that that can stand in the way between someone and and getting sort of taking their first step into tabletop gaming. Now, certainly, computer games inherently do have a a, a fairly, I would say, physical barrier to entry because like for a computer game you really do need a certain set of things you need a computer and and usually not always depends on what you're playing but usually you're going to need a respectable graphics card and and a respectable amount of ram and a respectable cpu that sort of thing certainly to create computer programs is even more complex because now you have to have all of those things plus you have to know the syntax of some programming language and you probably need some kind of art application so that you can create assets and you know all these different things there's just like this it, it's it's not just a barrier it's an array of barriers it's it's a huge barrier to entry and the cool thing about tabletop gaming is that yes you have to take that initial step and say yeah i'm going to get into i'm going to start playing games you know, and you do need, usually you do need like a second person that usually helps, although not always, um, because with tabletop gaming, like I say, mo user mods are, are all over the place. Um, and you'll be surprised at what kind of resources are available on the internet in terms of modifi modified rule sets for, for single players. Um, so tabletop gaming little bit of a barrier to get involved, not a whole lot. 
and not a whole lot to get started programming, uh, as it were, um, a game, you know, like actually coming up with your own, like, rules or coming up with your own game entirely. You can do that with basically no resources other than your head and a deck of cards. And even the deck of cards is pretty much optional. You can come up with, you know, it's just that simple. It's it's a mental exercise. And that's really cool, and that's something that you honestly really cannot do with video games. There are mods out there for video games. You can you can you can come up with with things, you know, you can you can kind of hack some games to do different things or to behave differently. Um, there are some game engines out there that are super simple to get started with, all of those things. But in terms of just like, do you want to sit down and do some analog programming, tabletop gaming is, is probably the easiest way to get started with that kind of thought process. The, the final thing that appeals to me about tabletop gaming, I guess, is that... It's a free and open space. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not I'm not fooling myself and saying that tabletop gaming is like this blissful place where sharing and intellectual freedom reign supreme. Um, and and even if it is right now, I would think that if tabletop gaming became a multi-billion-dollar industry, I don't know, it might be right now, but I don't, probably not a multi-billion-dollar industry. Um, if it did become really sort of like the thing, I think that efforts to enforce copyrights would be, would be, you know, they would go up a lot. You know, people would start being sued for games that are too similar to another or whatever. Um, or, you know, they'd like start some kind of campaign to make sure that if you were over at a friend's house playing a tabletop game and they modified the rules on you, you could report them to the gaming police or something, you know, like, I'm not saying that, that the entire, I'm not, I'm not under the illusion that tabletop gaming just has no rules and, and it's an open community and everything is creative commons because yeah, it's definitely not. But the fact is that tabletop gaming is a dynamic process. It's the, the, the program is prescribed for you, but it's kind of just, it's written down in a rule book and it's not really enforceable. Other players can do whatever they want. Everyone remains essentially a free agent. Again, not for reselling or anything, but but in terms of actual gameplay, you can do whatever you want. Uh, I'm not saying that video games are bad or, and not enjoyable, but I am saying that tabletop gaming is kind of a brave new world that isn't really new at all. Actually, it's very, very old. But it's one of those that that definitely deserves revisiting if if you've if you've not sat down and played a really good uh, tabletop game, and that can be anything. I'm not saying that you know that games that you play with a standard 52 deck are not really good. I'm just saying like if you, if you find a tabletop game that you enjoy. And sit down and play it. And if you're a programmer, think about its mechanics. Think about why, like, what's going on there that, that is making it enjoyable. What are the risks? What are the challenges? What are the goals that are set up for the players? How does that, 
how does that make the players react to one another? Does it make them work together? Does it make them compete with one another? Like think about those things and it it's it's really, really fun. Um and and try a couple of your own house rules. Come up with some rule modifications to see what happens if you if you change, you know, if you tweak a setting on a on an analog game, how does that affect things? It's a lot of fun. It's easy to get started with. Uh, you can often find these tabletop games either at a gaming store, like a dedicated gaming store. Sometimes they're hidden away in like a hobby shop or something like that, or a bookstore. Or you can find them sometimes just in, um, in you know, an op shop or a thrift store, like as you know, just for cheap. You can just purchase them for you know used and and give them a go. So, or you can do a print and play. Um, really, like whether you go to gitlab.com slash notquatu slash occult, or whether you go to drive through cards uh, and check out some of the print and play games there. I mean, they exist. They're, they're like, they're, they're out there. You can actually just download people's games and print them out, cut them into cards, or you could send them away on a printer for demand service and, and have them printed just and, and then start playing. And it's, it's really cheap and it's really cool. I mean, it is, it is, it is very much the open source spirit, um, cutting out the middleman, cutting out the distributor and, um, letting people just kind of have fun and be creative on their own without the, the mass production of, of some other thing. Um, so whichever avenue you choose to go down, I highly encourage you to try out a tabletop game. And if you find a good one, uh, please do let me know about it. I'm always looking for new ones now. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.